So Bipartisan allowed you to scan a barcode of a product in aisle four of the grocery store or you know in the bar that you were in and to see whether the cereal that you were buying or the beer that you were drinking was more democratic or more Republican or more in between. Hello, this is The Great Battlefield Podcast. I'm Nathaniel G. Perlman. A great political battle is being fought right now between progressives and the forces of reaction on the other side. This show is about the political entrepreneurs and other progressive leaders who are finding new or improved ways to fight. I spoke recently to Matthew Colbert with Spend Consciously. Matthew is a former Democratic campaign operative who spent his time since about 2014 building a company called Spend Consciously, which aims to help consumers use their smartphones to make purchases that align with their values. To this end, he's created products like Bipartisan and iSpend. Bipartisan, B-U-I, allows you to look up campaign donations by scanning product codes. Matthew is now pivoting to allow the sale of data around consumer spending decisions as a way to impact corporate decision-making. I had a little difficulty grasping some aspects of his rationale and plans, but I enjoyed catching up and hearing about his history in the space. I look forward to seeing what's next for Spend Consciously. So, after a quick word from our sponsor, my interview with Matthew Colbert and Spend Consciously. Check out the large, detailed, and high-quality political data graphic posters from Timeplots. Our visual history of the American presidency, for example, lets you see the Clinton, Bush, Obama, and Trump presidencies in full context. Timeplots Library includes visual histories of the United States House, the United States Senate, the Supreme Court, and the Democratic and Republican parties. Find them all at www.timeplots.com. Use the code BATTLEFIELD for a discount. Would you mind introducing yourself and giving me a quick biography? Sure. I'm Matthew Colbert. I'm a born and bred New Yorker who um, got involved in politics early on, went down to school in uh, D.C. and started running campaigns while in college and continuing uh, working on the Hill and in the uh, various other capacities, then did a transition and uh went to law school and uh, eventually started a tech company called Spend Consciously, which I'm now the founder and CEO of. I believe I ran into you earlier in your career uh, when you were maybe a client of my software company. Well, and that's what makes life so fun that uh, I get to now be a a guest on this wonderful podcast that I'm a big fan of. But uh, I was definitely a client of yours many a time and, and a big proponent of NGP software of chapters of life ago, I'm proud to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said you came to D.C. for college. Which one? I went to American University. And how was that experience for you? It was great. Uh, being in D.C. was a, a wonderful thing. And I chose American uh, because they had a, a campus unlike um, other the uh, universities here. And so it was a, quite an experience to be fully engaged in, in what D.C. has to offer. Were you a political science major? Well, that was the other reason I chose AU was they uh, they had this major called CLEG, which allowed you to basically major in four different areas, uh, communications, law, economics, and government. And so it was one of these interdisciplinary majors that uh, 
allowed it to be better than a, in my mind, better than a poli sci. Well, it sounds like it, you knew what you were interested in right from the get-go. Well, I'm glad it sounds that way because that was not the case. Um, I, I come from a, a legal family who were uh, very politically active and and definitely instilled in me the uh, the value of public service. I, I was a rebellious teenager who was an entrepreneur and who was a, a clown in the circus and an actor and anything but a future lawyer. I had gotten bit by the political bug early on back when I was going on rallies with them and uh, volunteering on campaigns. So I guess that was always in the, in the blood and it continued through college and onward. You said you were running campaigns in college. What sort of campaigns? I got an internship uh, with uh, Senator Kennedy that then allowed me to then get a internship with the chairman Fowler at the time uh, at the DNC and then uh, allowed me to then be part of uh, the DCCC. And then I got kicked out of the DCCC to go, um, as Rob Engel said, to go actually run a campaign. And so I was running a congressional race in Florida while in college and managed to get some credit for that. And then continue that with the state legislative races in New Jersey and then kind of bouncing around through different cycles to do either congressional or statewide or, or elsewhere. So, and presidential. So what was it that you liked about that kind of work? Well, I think it's the same thing as entrepreneurship that I really like about it, which is you are basically taking a product, in this case, a candidate, you are looking at an audience, therefore a district or a state, you are then trying to come up with a message that's going to appeal to the electorate that will then hopefully have, in this case, a, a finite date, an election day that will allow you to see whether your company that you've put together this candidate uh, would have won or not. The freedom, the energy of being able to dabble in all these things was really exciting. And, and I, as a New Yorker, I, I knew that the worst thing someone could say to me was no. So it, it made me not fearful of raising money or asking someone for their vote or trying to put together a team of people. So I, uh, I took a liking to that early on. Were you then managing campaigns for candidates considerably older than you? How did you get their respect and have authority at such a young age? I think of it the same way that I was raised. You know, I guess it goes back to kind of being the son of of two and then, you know, four with step parents, lawyers. You know, I was a byproduct of divorce and so joint custody and and being able to read a situation. I was always exposed to adults in courtrooms and and sitting in meetings and knowing how to articulate yourself and, and see the bigger picture, being able to read the audience, whether it be your parents at the time who are theoretically cross-examining you, whether it be uh, a meeting of of adults uh, or whatever else, and in this case, candidates who are older than me, to try and and show them that I that I knew my stuff um, and that that I was not my age and that I could and should be trusted with something that was very important and serious to them, which was you know whether they were going to win and become an elected official. What would you say was the peak of your pre-law school political career? The peak, I guess, goes back to working with uh, Dick Gephardt and his presidential. Dick Gephardt has a special kind of, he was one of those people who was the old school way of, you know, your handshake meant something that 
you know, you didn't really need to question anymore. He took so many people under his wing, but uh, so I was just one of the people, but, but feeling that I could do things that I didn't necessarily uh, think that I could do. And, and then being able to, when he lost, being able to be exposed to this candidate who was running for Senate, who had a name that couldn't really be pronounced uh, from Illinois, uh, who gave a convention speech that kind of flipped my way of thinking uh, in a way. And that was Barack Obama, obviously. Uh, and then being able to be involved in his race, I guess that was the pinnacle. Does that mean you went to the convention and watched the speech? I was in Boston and very involved in the convention. And uh, it was one of those kind of just moments that you see now on 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 a video recording and you remember being there and it just still brings that goosebumps it was a hell of a speech and a hell of a speaker everything you said ditto yes <laughs> amen <laughs> a political talent uh good enough to win the presidency did you then work for the 0708 campaign so we lost everything in 04 and i thought what could i do to kind of take a couple years and that was ended up being law school that's when you chose to to go to law school after the O four. Yeah, because I I also didn't think that this this uh, senator from Illinois was going to do anything as quickly, and so I thought I had a, a little bit of time. Um, so I started off in law school, and and where did you go? Uh, I went uh, up in New York uh, to a, a law school on Long Island called Toro Law School. Did you finish it? I took off some time because he actually did announce, and I then went on the campaign, and then I finished up law school at, at American University in, in D.C when things ended up turning out the right way and, and uh, Senator Obama became President Obama. So, Did you have a role in that campaign then? What was it? Yeah, so I, I went out and did fundraising and, and did political and then ended up uh, you know, bouncing around between a number of states and ended up in Ohio for a while. So, You sound like oddly disconnected from it or... It seems like a lifetime ago, but no, I, I ended up uh, I, in Ohio doing election protection, which was something that was new for me at the time. Um, I had, uh, because of law school, been you know doing a judicial clerkship and familiar with um, with what election protection you know was and how important it was, and and uh, it, you know, I guess it's because of this last year with COVID and because of the four years prior to that with this other individual that um, the Obama eight years seem like a long time ago. I guess that's where the disconnect comes from. <laughs> so. so how did you t- spend your time between then and starting spend consciously? Uh, so I had um, done a couple different roles with the administration, helping in, in different capacities, finishing up law school at night. And at that time, if, if you remember the, the landscape was Occupy Wall Street and the Tea Party, and I was looking at the landscape and thought um, fundamentally that people have much more in common than what separates them and thought that these two movements had much more in common, again, than what separated them. And that people, the Joes and the Marys of the world, were all fundamentally saying that that um, you all um, and whether the you all was corporate American Wall Street or whether the you all was the federal government are not listening to me as my, you know, Joe and Mary and understand kind of what is going on in my life and my kitchen table. And I thought that technology could be utilized as an empowerment tool that uh, could allow people to have the information in the palm of their hand that um, would make a difference to them. Um, and basically, I, I thought that people were fundamentally motivated, you know, on, on Maslow's hierarchy of needs by by you know 
one of three kind of objectives. One was, you know, they want to leave a, a better world for their children. Um, they want something to be written about them in their obituary, or they want to go to heaven, right? If they believe in that. And so I thought that this mini computer that we were carrying with us, this, this, you know, phone could be a conduit and a computer could be a conduit to allow people to have the information that they cared about. And that's how spend consciously got born was looking at that landscape. What's sort of the founding story there? So that was one hand was the average person kind of, um, you know, making a difference. And so I started to write a white paper on it. And then I started to uh, think maybe there's something here. And I started to put a business plan together because at the time, the flip side of that is the audience that was going to, you know, theoretically pay for this. And that was companies. And if you look at the internet way back machine, uh, back in, you know, 2006, you know, less than 50 of the fortune 500 companies. So less than 10% had, CSR, corporate social responsibility, philanthropy, uh, community engagement on their homepage. And then you fast forward and, and in that decade, many of those same companies not only hired as one of their kind of four pillars on their four tabs of their homepage, but they had even hired a, a VP of uh, corporate social responsibility of CSR of but that CSR person was not able to kind of communicate well to marketing or to HR or to, you know, got to be the CEO to show that uh, what they were doing was not just a feel great aspect, but was actually a, a key integral component of the overall company's success. And so uh, that business plan then started to go, wait, there actually is something here. There's this disconnect that people should be able to have a, a megaphone to that company and say, Hey, I bought from you guys because of X or I didn't buy from you because of Y. That led to me to start to, you know, learn how to code and and go, oh, snap, you know, no one's doing this. Why shouldn't I be the one to do it? And then I started to put together a team of people smarter than me around and, and to start to raise capital. And, you know, I had this kind of beautiful mosaic in my mind about how all these component pieces fit together, but being able to articulate that back in, 2014 was not the easiest thing to do. So we had to break down uh, component pieces uh, about how this would look. And so our first product became bipartisan, uh, BUI partisan, kind of a play on words that really kind of put us on the map. What did bipartisan let you do? So bipartisan allowed you to scan a barcode of a product in, in aisle four of the grocery store or, you know, in the bar that you were in and to see whether the cereal that you were buying or the beer that you were drinking was more democratic or more Republican or more in between. So look at the the corporate money behind the product and it was able to take that barcode, link it to a product and then link it to a parent company, uh, see who the board of directors were, see who the CEO was, see who the employees were and see what the pack was and kind of break it down into uh four component aspects. And so what we did was we formed a partnerships with uh, the Sunlight Foundation, the National Institute on State Money and Politics, and the Center for Responsive Politics, then used their APIs to to get the political contribution side and then uh, take the barcode and kind of allow it to be the, the Alice in Wonderland easy way of kind of like digging into this information. You had started by talking about how there was too big of a divide and you wanted people to to kind of reach across that, or at least that's what I heard. How does that connect to sort of teaching them about the partisanship of companies, which seems like it would 
promote the divide, perhaps. A hundred percent agree with you. So the um, the interesting thing was so the 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 fundamental belief is that again you have much more in common than what separates us. And you know the ultimate platform that we were going to build was to allow people to take up to thirty five issues and be able to uh, you know customize a profile and say out of thirty five issues in the world, I only really care about five or six of them. It is going to allow them to kind of you know synthesize that perfect cup of coffee and look at the data points reflecting those issues and be able to get a, a, a truncated view about what they were buying, whether it be a product or a service and how it compared with others, and then be able to kind of do what LinkedIn does for careers. It was going to allow the LinkedIn for values. So it's going to allow you to kind of connect with people, realize that the person who was that neighbor across the street, who was a Democrat, who you thought was the worst person in the world, uh, or who was completely, you know, the antithesis of who you were is actually the same person who you both send your kids to the same school. You both go to the same religious institution. So that was the, 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 the grand picture in order to get there. Um, the same way the Washington Post, when we, they first heard about our product, um, ended up calling us, uh, they hoped that we failed because they said, we're choosing our partner in life, uh, our relationship partner, uh, based on politics. We're choosing our religious institution based on politics. Why should we choose what we eat based on politics? And then two days later, Geraldo Rivera, on, outnumbered on Fox, called us the most despicable product in the world. And that kind of both of those things put us on the map to really um, allow us to get some deep penetration in in the marketplace uh, because if the left hated you theoretically and the right hated you theoretically, then maybe you were actually doing something that was uh, pretty solid. So, wow, that's really visceral reaction to getting some information. <laughs> exactly right. It was it was pretty amazing because we weren't even ready to be launched at all, and the Washington Post blessed us with an editorial from the Ed Board after writing a story on us. Uh, so two days later, they do this editorial uh, and that's on a Friday. And then on a Monday at the noontime outnumbered show, Geraldo Rivera calls us the most despicable product in the world. We're like, wait a second, huh? we're, we're nobody. Like, don't we, like, what, all we're doing is allowing people to have political contribution history and to see whether what they're buying is more democratic or more Republican. Do you think that people should choose uh, what soft drink that they buy or what toilet paper they buy according to the donations of the CEO or of the corporate PAC? Well, so as a fundraiser uh, and someone who's been in politics for a while, like I know that companies and individuals for that matter give to candidates or elected officials for a variety of reasons. And they may be as simple as, you know, who's on that committee that I need to move a bill for or who's the majority party. And it's not necessarily a a feeling or a statement that says, I believe in candidate or elected official Joe or party Democrat or party Republican, but this is what I need to do to kind of be in the game. What I do believe is, you know, us in the Beltway or as political operatives, we know about this thing called open secrets. We know about the FEC data. We know how to look at quarterly campaign reports and, and understand them. But for many people, they don't have the time or the the bandwidth or the understanding to kind of understand this data is available. And so if if I or we could have created a, a product that allowed people to 
get the information in an easy manner and therefore be more informed than however they chose to use that product or buy that item, that's up to them. So I think it's a very personal choice to answer your question. You're talking about end of 2013, beginning of 2014. It's now, you know, three quarters of a decade later, you've been working at this. What's happened since? How has the company done? We had this tremendous amount of media attention in 14 and 15. Uh, it led to, you know, some great benchmarks in terms of millions of users and downloads. Um, uh, we, uh, in 16, created offshoots for the DNC and the RNC so you could have a buy RNC and a buy DNC. For better or for worse, we got kind of stuck in, in the political world a little longer than perhaps or we would necessarily wanted to have been. Um, we then started to uh, take other issues and, and form um, partnerships with celebrities and others for uh, other products to be released and developed for the environment and for gun control, uh, for uh, gay rights, and then um, for this full platform of uh, also on the consciously platform. So we, we have spend consciously, we have invest consciously, we have bank consciously. Basically, all these platforms work under the same premise, which is that an individual kind of create a, a customized profile of, of who they are fundamentally, um, how they look at a particular issue, and then they can easily be able to live every day the way they believe, whether that be the theoretical concept of voting with your wallet, whether that be the concept of democratizing impact investing, whether that be donating the way you believe, that's what we're building for. And we're um, looking at the, you know, the future and having some pretty exciting stuff in the pipeline. So, well, you had been a democratic operative for a bunch of years. I can understand why you'd build by DNC. Why also build by RNC? What was the transition there to, you know, which seems to have come from the beginning to having something aimed at sort of both sides. Well, so this was early on um, in, in the inception of this, which was a fundamental belief that I had and others around that, um, you know, people are not Democrats and Republicans. People are not blue and red. People aren't purple. People are just human beings. But you're specifically targeting these people to buy things that support their party. So it, it feels like this a very odd connection of principles there. <laughs> it is a dichotomy, right? It's, it's or a juxtaposition, right? Where And so it, it's the same thing I would say when I was being asked about this five, six years ago, which is that you're, you're creating a product that could be seen as divisive, yet you're preaching that we have much more in common than what separates you're us. You're preaching togetherness, but, you <laughs> might be, but, but you're but you're working to you know utilize the divide and maybe and maybe even exacerbate it. And so the way I would answer the question then and now is that you know this when we first came out the product, we only thought it was going to appeal to the five percent of diehard Democrats, the five percent of diehard Republicans, and the, you know, couple percent of people who didn't want money in politics. And it was going to, you know, show people on opposite corners of the boxing ring and then allow us to show 
through the main platform that people aren't Democrats and Republicans. People are fundamentally much more connected than 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 that. So even though we were creating a, a pseudo niche product, that the ultimate thing was not niche at all. It was a much more kind of together aspect of this. And so at the time, you know, CSR was seen as as something that only Ben and Jerry's or Patagonia or Whole Foods or on the flip side, Chick-fil-A were, were doing things that were kind of with a value lens. And, and, and really it wasn't that. It was showing that every company, that this wasn't a, a do good because you want to, you know, make a difference, but that, you know, fundamentally this was tied into the bottom line of a free market economics theory of a Milton Friedman that, that a company should want to have a purpose behind it, that, that they could actually do better by and make more money by, by having an impact. Does that make sense in terms of how saw that this wasn't, even though we were on different corners of the, the political spectrum in that, you know, Washington Post editorial, um, that this was much more of a kind of a, a uniting force. And the, you know, the media was like, oh, I see where you're going with this. And, and very excited about that prospects, even though we did tell them it was on background and at the time. So it sounds to me more like you were trying to build a business and you were looking at where there is a market. You know, if you could sell to one side, you could sell to the other. And you're trying to grow an enterprise and you're responding to what opportunities you see. Is that wrong? That's actually, that's absolutely right. And, 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 and both sides should have the same information and both sides should have the same empowerment tools. Um, whether that be on, on political contributions or whether that be on choosing a company that was theoretically uh, pro-choice or theoretically pro-life or that was believed in traditional family values, uh, you know, with a, uh, outlook on the, you know, the fifties landscape of what traditional family values are or thought that, uh, that, there was much more of a modern approach to who people chose to love uh, and, and that I can choose a chicken sandwich based on either one of those idol, items. So whether you back in the day, uh, you know, Governor Huckabee said, you know, let's go support Chick-fil-A and show a million people that we love uh, Dan Cathy and what they stand for. And then there was the flip side who said, you know, let's go have 10 million people so that they won't buy from Chick-fil-A. And, and so that's how the, the, the true premise of this empowerment tool was based on, which was that if you believe in a free market, that whether I'm the next chicken maker out there and I want to create a product that can sell to a million people, or whether I want to try to sell to a hundred million people, that the market should be able to dictate which way I want to go. And, and that a values aspect of this is a very important component to it. Uh, not that long ago on the podcast, I had uh, two guests together, Abigail with Goods Unite Us and uh, Jason with Dem Z, similar presenting of information and uh, information about companies for a kind of a version of the S and P. Not the same as what you do, but not unrelated. And I've and I believe there have been other ideas around this before. What have you seen as competition over the years since you started this? Well, so th there's been a great kind of uh, development in, in this uh, space. Voting with your wallet is a vital tool. So whether you flash back to the 80s and divestiture of apartheid in South Africa and the letter writing and uh, 
and facts campaign that had to be done then to achieve the objectives and, and people marching the streets or whether you look at the, the books that were produced, there was a, a buy blue book, a buy green book. There was a buy red book that was produced that would look at companies and, and tell people what they should do with their money based on those things. Uh, there was early tech companies that started to be innovators in the space. There was a company called Good Guide um, that really uh, did a great job on a lot of these things. Um, and then there were different companies that were looking at this through a lens, um, as you said before, that might be seen more through a, a partisan lens, a, a more democratic appealing lens or a more Republican appealing lens. And so uh, a number of them kind of came to the you know, fruition um, and, and and join the the ecosystem, and then you know a lot of what what other companies couldn't do is to show the revenue side or how to kind of connect this information to how a company would make money or you know how the tech company would make money. And people got excited about us because of of the team that we were able to put together, the uh, advisors, the investors, the the vision of, of of this, and so we were you know a, a democratic plus republican plus technology plus business leaders and and that's where we're going with with this so where is the company now like is it profitable how many people work there what are your next moves so we had a a very interesting and and, and good time pc pre covid um uh where we had hit different benchmarks and 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 it seems like a lifetime ago in 2019 uh and and certain kind of things that were looking like our our next step in terms of partnering with with much larger entities um and that's how 2020 started and then um this this thing called covid in 2020 did a couple things one was it made us all kind of like uh go back in our shells in different ways um and, and deal with the immediate reality. And then it also, on the flip side, showed the uh, the imperative that this thing be out here, this ability to, to spend, invest according to your values um, because of these four crises that we were facing, whether they be the, the COVID directly, whether they be the environmental crisis, whether they be the economic crisis, whether they be the, the racial disparity and uh, justice, being able to... Uh, have a, a candidate, uh, a president who fundamentally saw that building back better uh, was a chief aspect of it. That's why uh, what we're doing is, a, is, is kind of a very exciting time uh, for the next six months for us. And it's very promising. So what's happening in the next six months? Well, there, there's a lot that um, is going to, uh, it's in development now that we can hopefully announce uh, shortly. So in, in what sort of area? In, in growth and scaling this thing out on all the issues and all the different kind of platforms that we were talking about, the, the spending, the investing, the, the donating. Are you raising or have you raised money to do this? We, we've gone through a couple of rounds of capital that we've raised, uh, a, a traditional uh, pre-seed, a seed, uh, what some might call a, a, a bridge round, uh, whether that be an A round, you know, more of a bridge round and uh and so, yes, we've, we've raised capital. How many people work in it for you now? We've had a team of up to 15. Uh, now we're smaller than that. Uh, we're, we're about six of us now. So, What do you want this to be in the long run? Well, I want this uh, to be a game changer. I fundamentally believe that as a 
Politico that if you can show companies a clear cost-benefit analysis argument that says to them, you know, I at Dunkin' Donuts could have had the customer who went into Starbucks today because the customer that went to Starbucks today went there because Starbucks pays their baristas a living wage. We, again, should have had that customer in the DC area um, who is a millennial. Um, they would have bought from us, but they didn't because of that. That that CEO of Dunkin' Donuts looking at this data is going to go back to their board of directors, their shareholders, and say, you know, we've talked about this labor issue that we've had forever. Here's the actual numbers that show that, you know, part of the reason why our revenue was down 2% this quarter is because we're not doing this. We could, we should get that customer back and let's change our policy. And that's how you become kind of a game changer in terms of the the impact side of this about how companies behave. That's what I want this to be is, you know, you look at the Georgia issue, you look at this conversation about cancel culture right now. I object fundamentally to this concept that this is cancel culture. This is consequences to decisions that companies are making and people are reacting in different ways. That's what what's going on. And that's that should and, and can be done in a in a free market. What do you know about your your user base? Like how big is it and what sort of people have actually been the ones to download your apps and use them? We've had millions of downloads. We were top five in the iTunes store and it was a very the first, you know, the product the bipartisan showed a a younger slant to our users, um, that they were split divided. It was kind of a, against what I thought uh, or wrote down on a napkin when I was projecting this. I thought it was going to be more of a democratic slant to the user, but it, it actually broke out to, you know, I think it was like 55, 45 uh, Dem and R's. Um, I'm sorry, in terms of the partisan side, there was a number of, of the sector that uh, did not um, identify as a party. So it was it was as high as like 30% that said they were not identified with any party at all. And then that there, there was a subset of users that what we would call Uber users that was using the product seven plus times a week. Um, and that was about 15% of our user base uh, doing that. Um, and, uh, and people found it very illuminating. Matthew, one thing I don't understand is where does your revenue come from? So what we're doing, uh, and so the revenue change from the the bipartisan, which because that is through the, the partnerships that we had with with National Institute of State Money and Politics and Center for uh, Responsive Politics and Sunlight Foundation, that could not be used for commercial purposes. So the money that we had from that was the the partnerships that we had with the DNC and the RNC and the campaigns at the time. The full picture of this is being able to provide individuals with a, a ability to answer a question at point of sale uh, through a platform that we've built that will send them this question either on a mobile or through an email. Do they have to pay to subscribe to that? or No, or no, no, no. It, it's, it's free for the user. Um, we'll, you know, going back to the Starbucks example, we'll see that you were in Starbucks today, um, either because you scanned a Taz OT or because you were geolocated in Starbucks. We'll ask that individual a question that they can answer at their convenience saying, hey, did you end up going to Starbucks today? Because A, um, they pay their workers living wage. B, they source their beans from uh, third world countries. C, they are committed to the environment. Uh, D, they, you know, 
committed to hiring 10,000 veterans. You're going to sell that data to Starbucks? So we're going to aggregate that data, take out the individual aspects, components to it, and then be able to sell that uh, information back to a company, protecting, obviously, the individual's personal information and, you know, and to just make it demographic um, and then allow that uh, company to have that information and communicate through, you know, advertising uh, to an individual uh, or um, if that individual chooses to unmask themselves, then they can, you know, communicate in other ways. So. So you've come quite a way afield from political operative to this. What excites you about the path that you're on? Again, I, I look back at when we started in 2014 and 2021, and I look at how few people outside a certain circle would know about the values of a company, the leanings, the, the impact that a company can have in the future. And so what most excites me is this ability for values component to be looked at in a much broader uh, Fortune 1000 and even, you know, the small business aspect of how businesses operate, how people respond, how you can democratize impact investing so that it's not just the, the elite who are able to be part of a socially responsible fund and have the bandwidth to do that, but that anyone can, because they spend, you know, five bucks on a cup of coffee, that they can be able to invest that same five bucks for that company and send that company a message that we can, and that we can therefore achieve impact in, in a variety of different measures and therefore not be seen as we went back at the beginning of this conversation, be not be seen as blue or red, but be able to see each other, find that one commonality that we have it with one another, and then be able to start a dialogue with each other and say, hey, I didn't know you cared about education or that you went to the same school I did or that you you know, care about the environment or want to end homelessness. I also don't agree with you on these six other things that I never would have talked to you about, but maybe we can connect and build on that one commonality and at least uh, not see each other as labels, but see each other as human beings. That's what gets me excited. Hmm. Is there a question that I didn't ask you that you wish I had? Oh, I love that question. Um, the only thing that I might've asked is more about the cancel culture right now, but, but no, I think you've done an amazing job and I'm just really glad to have been a, a part of, of this conversation with you today. And, and so thank you again. Well, uh, thanks for taking the time. Anything else you want to say? Nope. Thank you, Nathaniel. Keep doing all the great work. Thank you. That was Matthew Colbert. He's at spendconsciously.com. This is Nathaniel G. Perlman with the Great Battlefield Podcast. You can find us at greatbattlefield.com or by searching for Great Battlefield in places where podcasts are found.